0: Okay, last week as we started working through chapter 10, you know, we get to chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, and Hebrews, There's we're getting into some very familiar places, um, places that will uh, begin to, you know, you'll you'll say, oh, I remember that verse or uh, something of that nature, and it's very important to remember how Hebrews is structured and that Uh, Just like uh, working through any area of Scripture, where you are is very much predicated by where you've been, which is all preparing you for where you're going. So as we, uh, we need to just reframe everything, where we left off last week, we had two central takeaways from last week's passage. The key contrast between the Old Covenant and the New is the eternal redemption accomplished by Christ. So remember as Pastor Matt went through that first section, he left us with, okay, let's make sure we, we understand we have eternal redemption accomplished by Christ. Takeaway number one. Takeaway number two, the new covenant believers receive what the old covenant law could never receive, which is total forgiveness, not almost forgiveness not partial forgiveness but complete utter and total forgiveness and that is the extraordinary life-altering difference between the old covenant and the new that now we can live in peace because we have total forgiveness remember he went into great detail about understanding that it's all the sins of the past it's all the sins of the present but it also is all the sins of our future so, with that forgiveness, the question is, uh, what do we do with that? Because that seems like, well, basic information to you. You're like, well, we got that, we know that. But you'd be amazed at how, uh, how many people don't want you to know that or don't want you to fully embrace that because of what may occur. See, in an effort to maintain control, cults and false teachers deny these remarkable realities, believing that people may be inclined to respond by partying like it's 1999. Now, it's okay to laugh. I am fully aware that I need an older crowd to even relate to what I just said. And if I said that on a Sunday morning, half of the room would be looking at me like, "Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, So, I live in a house where all the short people in the house refer to everything ancient as the 19s. It drives me absolutely crazy. (laughs) Anything that starts with 19 is like, you know, like dinosaurs. Was that in the 19s? I'm like, you're killing me. (laughs) Killing me. So... Here we are. Now, people are afraid of unrestrained or unmitigated grace because they believe that. Now, this isn't just relegated to false teachers and cults. Then there's sort of all sorts of schisms within Christianity where there are uh, multitudes of people who do not want you or do not want people in the congregation to live in grace because they think that they're going to go out and live crazy. If you knew that your redemption was eternal and you knew that your forgiveness was total, how do you respond to that? Well, obviously, the flesh would be the response of the flesh, but a spirit-filled person responds to these remarkable realities in a completely different way. Here's what you find about Scripture. The Scripture's not worried about that. The Scripture is not... Uh, God's not concerned that God knows that a person that that is spirit-filled, that understands uh, their position in Christ and understands their redemption and their forgiveness, uh, is not someone who's going to run out and, and live like... Uh, you know, a maniac, but somebody who is going to have a very different response to that, which is exactly what we see now in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. So so understand, following the two central themes, eternal redemption, total forgiveness, here's the next thing that God builds on top of that, right? Therefore, Therefore, since you have eternal redemption and total forgiveness, therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us then draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience by our, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now that's very different from living like, you know hell. You see that because we've been completely sanctified, because we've been uh, we're we're sanctified and set apart, and in the process of being made more like Christ. But our position is secure. Our lawless deeds, the Lord said in Hebrews chapter ten, verse seventeen, He'll remember no more. So here's the paraphrase of all that I just read. God has qualified you and made you perfect to stand in His presence. So, for heaven's sake or for goodness sake, don't wait another millisecond. Draw near to God. That the response to understanding the reality of everything that Christ has accomplished on our behalf, all this conversation about the great high priest and all this conversation about our access to God... Our response to this reality is we ought to evermore draw near to God. It ought to make us just want to run to Him. Not, not every once in a while, but continuously, right? Who, Of course, you, you want to, your desire would be to be in the presence of this God. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, hold on, hold on, hold on. How do we know that the author here means to draw near to God? Because in this particular passage, it says, let us draw near with a true heart, with full assurance. It doesn't say draw near to God here. Well, you can be utterly assured of that because, well, for a number of reasons, but mainly because of how many times this phrase comes up in the book of Hebrews. Verse Chapter 4, verse 16, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Chapter 7, verse 25, consequently he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. Chapter 11, verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him it's a theme throughout hebrews and so clearly this is exactly what the author is driving at realities in christ our response to these magnificent realities in christ is it ought to make our hearts want to rush in to the presence of this glorious and amazing god now here's what i want us to consider before we go any further i just want you to to think about maybe some of the ways that this is so amazing. We currently live in a society where there are all sorts of barriers to prevent access to important people, right? In other words, people who our culture deems very important, you can't get near them. They have bodyguards and all sorts of safety precautions put in place to where celebrities, professional athletes, politicians, so on and so forth. You can't go near them. You can't even walk up and talk to them. You can't take a picture with them. You can't ask for an autograph unless it's in a controlled environment. There's no... You cannot draw near them. Everything is is ordered in such a way. You cannot draw near to an actor, a professional athlete, or an elected official. If you do, you're going to jail. That's what's going to happen you're going to jail or you're some weirdo that people call the paparazzi but either way you can't do that we We live in a time where uh, when people of 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 great means or great fame when they when they go into a public establishment they They pay to have the establishment closed down so that they can be in it by themselves. I mean, these are things we just take for granted, but that's bizarre. It's bizarre. That we live in a culture where there are people that can't shop with other people, uh, be around other people, ride in a car with other people. I mean, all these things, you know, everywhere they go, they're surrounded by all these other people. It's just strange. strange. We just sort of take it for granted. Not only that, we're citizens of a country where our most important buildings are not accessible. You want to go to the White House? You're a citizen of the country? You can't go to the White House. And I would encourage you not to try. Because it will not go well for you at all. You can't even get near the White House. Now there's fences in front of the fences of the White House. Now, you, you can be as American as anybody, but you can't go there. You're not allowed. You don't have the clearance to go there. Even... It gets more ridiculous as we go. Even... In our culture, the important events are not open to the public, but to only special people who either by invitation or can afford to go. So for example, you've been to the Super Bowl? Good. That way, I don't have to mock anybody tonight. If you pay $2,000 to go watch some men run around with a little ball, then you got issues, in my opinion. In other words, you, you, if, you, if, you go, if you wanna go to the Masters, it's more than the Super Bowl. There are, and, and that's just the beginning. There are all sorts of uh, events in our culture that money can't even buy a ticket to get to. It's only by invitation. Only certain people get to go who are invited. And that's the only people who get to go. And everyone else, all the peasants. just Because you don't have clearance. You don't, you don't know people. You don't have the credentials. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And here's the thing. It's everywhere you go and everything you do. We just take for granted that we are allowed to do certain things and we're not allowed to do other things. And it's a continual sort of barrier to, you know, what we deem as freedom. And we all have to sacrifice that freedom in many ways. Why? Because of a very small, even tiny minority that abuses it. And therefore, all of us have to suffer and pay. We just take for granted, right? I mean, for years, I can remember because I'm from the 19s. I can remember, you know, you'd, you could go to the airport, buy a ticket, and you just walk in and go get on a plane and fly somewhere. Not anymore. Now, here's the thing. Have you ever been convicted of terrorism? Have you ever have you 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 can have the cleanest record and be the nicest person in the world it doesn't matter. You're not walking on until you go through the the procedure because you don't have access. You have to go through a very a very specific procedure because and listen it's it's it you know I'm just sensitive to it because I'm just weird like that. Things just, you know, that everyone else takes for granted, bug me. For a long time, I was really bent out of shape, just, you know, in my own spirit, that when you go to the gas station, doesn't the gas station bug you? Am I the only person who's just annoyed by the gas station? See, now I'm not annoyed by the gas station because I almost never carry cash anymore. But here's the thing. You go to the gas station. Now, I want you to try this. I want you to pull up at the gas pump. And then I want you to uh, look at the, the person in the window and just wave at them like, like, turn it on. And they'll be like, it ain't never happening. They ain't nobody turning the gas pump on. You have to walk in, okay, instead of paying for your gas, you have to give them something, your watch Your credit card, a $100 bill, and then they'll walk out. They turn the pump on. You can then pump gas. Then you have to go back in and take care of the... Now, here's the thing. Have you ever stolen gas? Have you ever filled up gas and drove away? No, but that doesn't matter. Because in our culture, because some people get gas and drive away, nobody gets gas without paying first, right? You see, that should annoy you. It should bother you. Everything's restricted. We just accept the fact that countless people, places, and events are off limits to average people like you and me. They're just off limits. They're just too important. They're just too special. They're just too, I don't know. I don't think it ought to be that way. But here's the great thing. God's not that way. Isn't it interesting that the most important person in the universe is wide open? Here's how I put it. The undisputed king of the universe who alone infinitely transcends in value and glory and honor and power all things deemed important. In other words, you know, it's crazy to me how we we think of, of, of things as, you know, we go, oh yeah, you know, oh, ooh, the Super Bowl or ooh, this or ooh. Compared to... The king of the universe, Mm, not so much. Who cares? Who cares? It's ridiculous. It's stupid. He transcends in every way. And here's what happens. He tells us that he's made the greatest imaginable sacrifice precisely to open himself up to giving free and unhindered access to his people. I mean, that is amazing and I think maybe that's one of the reasons why all these things annoy me so much is because they ought not matter it just it bugs me that, that you see it's a supply and demand issue It wouldn't be $2,000 to go to some stupid thing unless there was a whole bunch of people that were willing to pay $2,000 to go to some stupid thing, right? That's what annoys me. I'm thinking, what is wrong with us? Man, our priorities are way out of whack. Way as a culture. But God comes along, and He has a whole different approach to dealing with His people. With Him, you never need an appointment. You know that? Now, here's the most important person in the universe. You don't even need an appointment. You don't even have to call ahead. No schedule. You don't got to get a slot in there. I mean, look. Sent you an invitation to an event, you'd freak out. Just sent you an invitation, he doesn't even know you, but somehow your name got on a list, sent you an invitation, you can come. So you could come to an event at the White House, it would freak you out. But if you could go and you could visit with the president, like, you know, make an appointment and set a time, and they were. You know, you wouldn't be late, you would, you would, I mean, think of how how big all of that would be. And the God of the universe says, just come on. Just come on. But there's more. Not only do you not need an appointment, there's never an inappropriate time. What? Oh yeah. Like it's it's more than, than God not having office time and this time, you know, anytime you want to come, you know, it's no no, it's way more than that. It's any time, and no time is off limits, and no time is inappropriate. You can come on holidays, you can come in the middle of the night, you come early in the morning, you can come at lunchtime, you can come anytime. There's no break time, off time, close time, downtime, sick time. Anytime you want to come, you can come. And when you do, you'll never ever be turned away when you draw near to Him through Christ. Never. You can just come with full assurance. Now that is a a, a radically different response To an eternal salvation and a total forgiveness, and what the world would have you to think. So, now what we need to do is we need to get some clarity on if we can draw near anytime we want to draw near, we need some clarity on what it means to draw near. Because you got to think now with me, okay? You're thinking, well, I don't need clarity on this. Yeah, you do. You do. Trust me. Think about this. If you, for example, were invited to the White House with the president, or maybe your rich uncle sent you some Super Bowl tickets in the mail because he wanted to, or whatever, okay? Okay? So now you have the invitation that will get you in the White House. Or you have the tickets that are going to get you in the Super Bowl. So now you have in your hand, in your possession, what you need to gain access into that event or that place, right? What do you have to do? Can you just go? Negative. Pretty sure you don't. Because you don't live in Washington, D.C., do you? No, I'm pretty sure you don't. Which means you have to buy a plane ticket or take a really long road trip or whatever. You have to go to the, the, the uh, airport and you have to, you know, have a lot of fun there with uh, uh, all your stuff getting searched and everything else. You got to do all that. And then you got to, you know, make your connections and you got to do everything. And then you can finally get to your destination After you do all these other things, then you can finally utilize. And when you get to the White House, it's not just like, oh, I'm here. Oh, well, come right in. Oh, no. Then you just come into a, you thought the airport security was bad. Wait till you show up at the White House. So you can't just go. You have to do all these things to get there, right? Yes. And yet. We serve a God who not only has an open-door policy, not only can you come at any time, no inappropriate time, no appointment necessary, not only that, but He's omnipresent. Which means you don't have to go anywhere to get to Him. You can be in your car and get to Him. You can be at work and get to Him. You can get to Him in the morning from your bed. You can get to Him anywhere you are. You can get to Him. You have not only do you have an invitation and access, but you don't have to do anything to get yourself geographically or positionally in a, a place to get to him. You can just be there because he's there. So it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. You can access him. Now, why do I make such a big deal about that? Because so many people mess this up. They make a devastating mistake by believing that once or twice a week they go to a building and there they meet with God. And they believe, whether, whether consciously or unconsciously, that, that there are, are structures that are holy, that they can go to, that that equip them or allow them to be able to meet with God, that there's this physical place that's somehow sacred, and that is a horrible mistake to make for a new covenant believer. Now, if you think you only encounter God On Sunday mornings or on Sunday nights or on Wednesday nights, you are missing so much of what God has for us. Nothing could be further from the truth. Furthermore, access to God has no financial requirements. I mean, I thought of like a hundred things we could talk about. Child of God, there's not even a behavioral requirement. You, can, you have access to God at your highest moment or lowest moment and every moment in between. I mean, just think about that. And so we've spent all this time learning about the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. And how anyone in the Old Testament who tried to draw near to God. Hmm. Only one person got to do that. You, you think the Super Bowl is hard to get into? Oh, negative. Try going in the Holy of Holies. That's the hardest ticket in the history of the world. And the guy that got it wasn't even sure he wanted it. One guy, once a year, that's it. No other time. Don't even think about it. And if you if you even so much as touch the Ark of the Covenant... but to keep it from falling, your toast. And yet, here we sit. Complete access. God comes along and says, Now you have eternal redemption, total forgiveness. And he flings the doors to heaven wide open. And you would think we must be the most spiritual people in the history of the world. I mean, wow. How how do we ever get any work done? How do we ever do it? We must all spend all of our time all day long fellowshipping with God, huh? Yeah, like. Most of us in the room have gotten fired from multiple jobs because we just didn't show up because we lost track of time and stayed in our prayer closet for three days. No, that's not what happened. What happened is some red faced maniac like me is up here screaming and yelling and begging people to comprehend what is right there on a silver platter for you to take advantage of. It's crazy. It is crazy. I feel like a guy who's committed his life to running around through leper colonies with a pocket full of vaccinations and all you got to do, all you got to do is just take take it and you're healed and nobody will listen. Now, it's it's not that there's no requirement at all. It's not that it's that way for everybody. Oh, no, it's not. There is one requirement. In order to draw near, to, to take advantage of this access, you have to have faith in Jesus. No faith in Jesus can't come, it's not open to you. So, what is this drawing near? Well, I want to help us. Because probably, some of you in the room, you, you draw near to God more than you realize. You just really never thought about it this way. First of all, drawing near to God is an invisible act of the soul. So you can't necessarily, I, I thought a lot about this, and I I just want to be sure that I'm, what I, you know... You can't necessarily, you can't look at someone and tell if they're drawing near to God, okay? Mm-mm. Someone could be sitting right next to you, drawing near to God, and you could be oblivious to it. Not always. But I don't want you to think that it's something that is uh, external. It's an invisible art out- Part of a man or woman... By which we cry out to God for help. When you cry out to God for help, you draw near to God. You're invoking His name. You're drawing into His presence as you call out to Him in your moment of need. You ever been in a... a, a, You know, there are just times in life where you get glimpses into the, you get to peer directly into a person's soul. It's very rare, but it happens. Uh, One illustration of that is is that, uh, you know, I wish I could say this never happened, but unfortunately I can't. There's been a couple uh, instances in my Christian life where I've been with another Christian person riding in a car and almost died. In that moment, you get to know something about yourself or the person that you're with. What happens when suddenly it looks like you're in a car? Because I'm just saying that if me and you are in a car and a semi suddenly, you know, pulls across in front of us or, or somebody comes across into our lane or whatever, right? And in that moment, you... Instead of calling out to God, blurt out a cuss word, you're going to wish we had died if we don't. Right? You ever been in a... So what? Hap- what is your natural inclination when you, when you have a near-death experience? You just, you don't even think, you just immediately scream. Twice this has happened to me. I just scream, Jesus. One time, my eyes were closed because I thought I was, I mean, I'm like there. And then I was shocked that I that's all I'm saying. When you cry out to God for help, you also draw near to God. When you express trust in his goodness when you when you trust him when it doesn't make sense when it doesn't add up when you don't you you know you you don't you don't see his his wisdom or way it's not evident or obvious to you but you just know that you just have to trust him and you trust him because you know he's good You don't understand, but you trust Him. See, you're drawing near to God. You're drawing near and saying, God, I'm trusting you in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my hurt, in the midst of my confusion. We draw near to God when we lay hold of His promises. I mean, there's been so many times in my life and so many times in your life where the only thing we had to stand on was His promise. That's it. Like... It looks like everything is a disaster. But all I know is what God's promised. And so I'm standing on that. And I'm not giving up. And I'm not backing down. And I'm not retreating because I know what He's promised. That's drawing near to God. When you believe Him to be all that the Scripture says that He is. You see, as you as we saw this morning there's a lot of different beliefs there's a lot of different levels of belief and there's a lot of belief that's not saving belief but i can tell you one thing when you believe god to be who he says he is in scripture that is that is a powerful powerful belief because there's a lot of things in scripture that we would never make God to be but he is for all that he is or has done you know those times when your heart is broken and when you're just you're just devastated by your circumstances or your situation or by you know by people that you love or whatever it is, you're just devastated and you 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 just draw near to God in praise. It's all you have is enough breath to just you ever done that you ever you ever You ever been by yourself in your car listening to praise music and you're just wailing? I mean wailing. And you're singing as tears just explode out of your face. And you're just heartbroken, but it's all you know to do. You're drawing near to God. God's like, come on, come on. You see, those are all examples, and there's a million more, but I just want you to understand. Now, drawing near to God, when we do those things, when we, when we, when we cry out to Him, or when we trust Him, or when we stand on His promises, or believe Him to be who He says He is, in all those instances, okay? Now, by drawing near, we're not making anything new true you understand when you draw near to God in other words when you are in a you know spinning hydroplaning on the interstate at 80 miles an hour because you should have been going 65 right Brandon I'm just saying and there you are hydroplaning and you 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 scream out to Jesus to help you. He doesn't go, is that the voice of my child? And come. Mm. There's nothing new happening. He's already there. You're drawing near to him. It's not something new. It makes what is already true in Christ available for us to Experience and understand. That's what it does. You see, when we don't draw near to God, we have all these, we have all these, you know, ethereal principles. But you're not experiencing that. Now, this confuses people a lot, and I talk about this in depth in my starting point class when I'm teaching people about sanctification and I'm explaining to them how this works and it's, it's good for us to just understand in a, in, a, in a very simple way what I'm talking about, about how it makes us experience and understand. And I believe that God in his uh, intended structure for humanity gives us in that intended structure, you find, in my opinion, a way to understand or explain everything in the Scripture. So, for example, drawing near to God doesn't change anything, but it gives us an opportunity to experience and understand what that's like. That's the same thing as what happens in a family. That a child born into a family with a mother and father the way God intended, remember, in His intended structure of child born into a family with parents. That child is the offspring of these two people. That can never change. You can't undo that. You can't Remove DNA out of yourself. Those are your parents. Now, you can can move to Uganda and never speak to them again and disown them, but it doesn't change the fact that they are your parents, right? You can't undo that. That's just how that works. But there are times that a a child doesn't ebb and flow in and out of the familial relationship. In other words, they're 100% the children of these parents every millisecond of every day for the entire course of their life. That never changes, right? But does the experience of their position to these parents change? it's, It's all over the map, right? Well, yes. And so... when they, they can do things to feel distant from their parents and not feel close to their parents. They're still their parents. Or they can do things to draw in and, and experience more of what it's like to have these two people as parents. There's times where uh, things are good. You know, they, they love their position under their parents when they're at Disney World. But they don't so much love their position under their parents when they're doing their geometry homework. But it's the same relationship. So the relationship that you have with God and that God has with you doesn't change. What changes is the way you experience it by the way you relate to Him. So when you draw in, what happens to a child who draws into loving parents? Well, does it make the parent love them more? No. It makes the child understand that the parent loves them more, but it doesn't make them love them more, does it? No. Okay. So this, the first thing that happens is we are to, we're encouraged to draw near. Now, we continue, part 2 in verse 23. Then let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hmm. So we're encouraged to draw near to God, and then we're encouraged to draw near to one another. So here's what this passage this passage not only describes the necessity of Christian community and what our responsibilities are to each other as followers of Jesus, mm-hmm. so we draw near to God and then we draw near to each other. That there's a necessity for Christian community, and that in that community, We have responsibilities. It's not a passive relationship, is it? Well, clearly not. Nobody could read that text and believe that it's a passive relationship. It's not a suggestion. It's not passive, but it's a command, and it's active. And so, it's not only to draw in and to face our responsibilities, but it also serves as a rebuke to the growing numbers of professing Christians who thinks it's entirely permissible to say that they follow Christ while refusing to gather regularly with other Christians in a particular local church. You see, this is the text that always comes up whenever there's a conversation about church attendance. which is, It's amazing, it's a wonderful text for that, but it's amazing that we're having the conversation. What is there to talk about? I mean, is there, is God unclear here? Is there something, you know, that we're not sure about that we can't? No. It simply exposes that we live in a culture, in a Christian culture, that is riddled riddled with rampant idolatry. Amen. That's exactly what it shows us. I want you to notice, verse 25 Use the word habit. As some have made it a habit that you... So this habit... Now, you don't cultivate a habit overnight. A habit takes time. A habit's not something that just springs up on you. You know, a habit... You don't just wake up one day and go, whoa, I got a habit yesterday. That's not how that happened. It was formed over time. It was a a sequence of events that led to this habit. And how how do we find ourselves forming such a devastating habit? Well, I'm so glad you asked. The simplest, broadest way to put it would be this way. It's finding oneself immersed in an unwanted habit, which is normally very difficult to break, and it's the consequence of living unintentionally. You see, most of the time what happens is the habit of not gathering with people, of of not intentionally putting yourself in community and embracing the responsibilities of community is, is just the consequence of unintentional living, just drifting along, not really being careful about what you're doing. So you know how it goes, right? I mean, I really know how this goes. I know how it goes when... To the degree to which, trust me, there's so many things that can happen in your life that can make you so happy. They don't make me happy. Because I've seen a lot of people burn to the ground because of it. It doesn't mean you will, but it doesn't make me happy because I get concerned for you. Because I see it so often. I see new hobbies, I see new activities, I see new things that you think are so wonderful and they're going to build your family up and what they do is they're just tools that Satan uses to form a habit in your life of not taking community seriously and making a price you never, it ends up costing you things you never, a price you never dreamed you'd pay. See, nobody just wakes up one morning and says, Oh, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm just going to, you know. If I go to church half the time, that's going to be good, right? Nobody does that. I mean, we live in a culture where, you know, other people are always talking to me. Other pastors are always asking me questions. One of the questions I'm always being asked is, you know, How do you get people to show up for church? Well, I'm not sure I get people to show up for church. I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit has to do all that. But I will say this, that if on any given Sunday, if everybody shows up, we got a problem. But that doesn't happen. The norm today for most people is they're not always going to be here. A couple years ago, uh, me and the elders sat down and, you know, because all the elders have been here for a long time, like me. So we sat down and we said, let's make a list of the people in our fellowship that are always here and have always been here and that you can count on every single time, that you know are going to be here. And we knew exactly who you are. I mean, immediately we know who you are. For years, you're here. If you're not here, you're sick, something's wrong because you're here. And you know who you are. And you know what? It's a very, very small list. So what causes us to drift? A lot of things. I think there's a few main things. Number one, an out-of-control schedule. You can think of Ephesians 5.16. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time. Mm-hmm. People don't do that. They get in trouble. Number two, misplaced affections. This isn't on your handout. This is just bonus. Misplaced affections. Here's what happens. You're going along good. Everything's fine. And then somehow 1 John 2.15 becomes this you know, giant warning sign in your life that says... Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That ought to be a big warning to us, right? Most people that form a habit of not gathering together with their family of faith is because they are they got misplaced affections. They're all wound up in some silly thing that's not going to mean anything at all in their life. Not... At the end of their life, I mean, a year from now, 10 years from now, it's meaningless. Discouragement. Discouragement drives people away. People get discouraged. They, you know, they get they get down. Things, they go through difficult times in their life. They begin to struggle. Notice the the, the people that the book of Hebrews is addressing are people that are affected by discouragement. And what would a person... What would the Bible say to somebody who's in a deep sense of discouragement? That would be the time that more than any other time that you would draw in to community, right? You would draw in, not push away. But so oftentimes, that's what we do. Uh, Another reason that people form the habit would be abundance. Abundance, just having too much. So you don't see yourself as having need of anything. That's a very dangerous place to be. Very dangerous place to be. And then there's the the parasitic sins. that. For we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see the context now? You know what those, those, those sins are like parasites and what happens is they become a sense of, of shame in your life. And when you have shame and guilt in your life, you know what you don't want to do? You don't want to come to church. And you really don't want to come to this church. You know, you might can handle going to church if there's just going to be a bunch of jokes and everybody's going to be goofing around. But you don't want to hear the Word of God. You don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to pray. You don't, you don't want accountability. You don't want... No. Because you're guilty and you're shameful. And rather than dealing with the problem, you, you, just, make a, you just make a habit. You just run away. You just run away. So we drift away. And let me tell you something, it's not as hard as, I see it happen in people's lives that I know they never, ever expected that to happen, never. They never thought that it would be them. They always thought when I was talking about something like this, they would always be like, well, you know, that's not me, that's other people, I've seen it happen. It's not difficult to develop a habit of neglect when it comes to participation in the life of the local church. It's not, it's, very, it's not hard at all. You know, it usually starts with something innocent. You're sick and you can't come to church. Everybody's, listen, if you're sick, don't come. I don't want you to come to church. No one wants you to, right? So you're sick, you can't come to church. That happens to all of us. But then the next Sunday rolls around and mysteriously somebody, you know, invites you to go to the lake or, you know, Sunday. Your boss, you know, throws something on you and you have to, you know, work extra or, I mean, I see it. I've seen it all. I see people who are tracking along with God. And then they, they do something that initially, you know, like we should all be happy about, right? And I want to be happy. But in the back of my mind, I've just seen too much. I've seen very faithful people. I've seen, them, I've seen uh, people go back to school to continue their education and go right off the cliff. Right off the cliff. Well, you know, it's just for a season. You know, I'm back in school. I got a lot on me. It's the only time I have to, oh, whatever. It's not always, you know, the new, you know, speedboat or the new, you know, or my kid made the select team. So how crazy is that? How crazy is that we live in a culture where a kid playing a game trumps God. Crazy, crazy. A God who says, I'm open, draw near to me anytime. But listen, that habit, you don't want to do it. It's sinful, and it's a recipe for personal, moral, and spiritual disaster. And that would be easy for us to spend a a Sunday, two, five, ten. And we could just just parade people, couples, families up onto the platform. And they could give you their five-minute, ten-minute testimony about how life's clicking along. And then something happened. And they got out of church. And catastrophe came. I'm talking about we could do that for months and months and months. It happens all the time. It's sort of like, uh, you know, this is how weird I am. There's something about Sunday night. I feel like I can just confess all my strangeness to you. I trust you for some odd reason. I don't know why that is. These are the things that go on in my mind. I think to myself, "What what if I were to... We, we should make a a picture Bible. Not a picture Bible like, you know, the kids' Bibles, but like an adult picture Bible, right? Wouldn't that be good? I could do that. It would be weird. No one would buy it, and definitely no one would publish it, but we could do that. And so, what picture would I put near this verse? So these are the things I think about. Now, I'll give you some some, some understanding of where I'm going with this. See, because pictures are powerful. Sometimes people need a picture. So, for example, if, uh, if you, after church tonight, on your way home, you want to stop by the local convenience store and buy yourself a pack of Marlboros, uh, you know, you go in and buy you some smokes, when you get the cigarette pack, it's going to say, you know, warning, smoking causes cancer. That's how we do it in the United States. Which... Is really marginally effective. I think all the people that smoke are like, yes, I'm aware of that. You know, as they're so, what are they, they're thinking? Well, it's never going to happen to me, right? That's what they're thinking, right? Okay. So what? Did, the, I think the greatest deterrent to smoking is we just put like nine dollars and seventy-five cents of tax on every pack of cigarettes, and then people are like, well, I can't smoke anymore because I can't afford it, and then I don't know what they do. But the point is, if you go to third world countries. It's amazing. You go to some third world countries that have attacked smoking and nobody smokes. You go to Brazil. Like if I see a person smoking in Brazil, I'm like, whoa, that guy's smoking. Why is that? Well, it's very simple. When you buy a pack of cigarettes in Brazil, they don't have a warning. They have a picture of a dead person on the cigarettes. You put dead people on stuff and that'll, that'll deter you from smoking. And every pack has a different picture. There's literally pictures of organs. They're actual organs, pictures of, here's what your lungs look like if you smoke. I'm like, oh, you know what I mean? like. We should have a picture by Hebrews chapter 10, 23, 24, and 25 about what happens to your life if you neglect fellowship. That's what we ought to have. Then maybe people would be like, Whoa, I think I'm going to make sure that I prioritize this. A picture Bible, it'd be good. So here's an example of. Just trying to get you to understand how, how important this is. It's true that a man does not have to go to church to be a Christian. Now that's true. Kind of. That's true. Right? Okay. It's also true that he doesn't have to go home to be married. Right? Mm -hmm. But in both cases, if he doesn't, he's going to have a very poor relationship. There's a good way to understand that. It's a good way to see what's going to happen. It's going to be a disaster. If you don't go home... you're not going to have a good relationship. If you don't invest intentionally in community and accept your responsibility therein, you're not going to have a good relationship. Plain and simple. We're disciples of Christ, and discipleship happens in the context of community. We believe this to the core of who we are. Everything that we do is built around our absolute, unshakable Understanding that apart from, listen, discipleship can never be what it is intended to be apart from community. It, It just will not. It's not what God intended. It's not only in community, but it has to have the context of community. So we have to be, listen, there's a war every time. Every time you try to come into community, there's a war. you got to declare war and be diligent, not just to kill time or hang out. It's so discouraging to the the staff whenever somebody comes up to one of us, especially Pastor Matt because he has to hear it the most. People will come up to us from time to time and say, Pastor, can you help me? I need to find a new D group. Well, why? What's wrong with your D group? Well, we never talk about the Bible. That's a, that's a low moment. It doesn't happen a lot, but when it happens, it hurts. And you have to ask, who's in your D group? And then they tell you, and you're just like, Yeah, I mean, we just sit around and we talk about recipes or we talk about football or we talk about the news or we talk about this or we talk about that. It's just like, my goodness, you got a war against that. I mean, when you sit down in community, you open up your Bibles, I mean, you know, I'm not hanging out in D group I love you and I want to chat with you and I want to know what's going on in your life and I want you to know what's going on in my life and all that's part but I can assure you that we're there with a mission and a purpose and it's not going to be a bunch of rambling on about junk because that is neglecting what you've been called to do you see Notice it says, let us consider, consider one another. To consider, you have to think in advance about what you're going to do and why you're going to do it. You have to come prepared. The Bible doesn't say, well, just show up and be around other people. It doesn't say that. It says, consider one another. You're not going to stir anybody up to, to, to love and good works unless you consider. You're prepared. So as you're approaching your time to, you know, you don't just show up at D Group, but you thoughtfully have prepared yourself to meet with, with some brothers or some sisters together. You've prepared yourself. You've prayed for them. You've, you've thought about the things you're going to talk about and the things you've studied and the things that God's shown you. And you have an agenda. You've, you consider it. It's not just some willy-nilly, just because we all profess faith in Jesus and we're all sitting around doesn't make it a spiritual huddle you consider you consider and when you're together for that purpose you make sure that you do that you see you don't aimlessly drift into community because if you do it's not going to be real it doesn't work like that you don't just float into community I think two things are at play. I think, number one, you have to be open to who God's bringing into your life and you have to know that He's bringing certain people into your life for a purpose. You have to be intentional and pay attention to that. But then you also have to intentionally seek out certain things, especially, especially if you're a young man or a young woman. I mean, in every single case of premarital counseling with every couple that I marry I go painstakingly with them through the process of understanding how critical it is that you don't just accept who drifts into your life but you intentionally seek out people who are further along the path than you are it ought to not be strange in the in the kingdom of God for somebody to for you to walk up to somebody and Introduce yourself and then say, hey, you know. Did anybody do that to you? Since Pastor Matt's not in here tonight, he's in D group. That's exactly what he did to me. He drove me crazy. Every time I turn around, here's this bald-headed guy, you know, going, hey, you got any time? Can we go to lunch? Can we, you know, when they first moved down here. And I mean, all of a sudden, he—you know—he just. I'm like, hey, man, you know, I'm busy. I don't. Have, but he was relentless, relentless. He'd stop me in the hall. What's your schedule look like this week? What do you? And you know, because he understood, he needed people in his life. Listen, love's not easy especially when it comes to people, right? Listen, it doesn't take any effort to love a filet mignon. That's just natural, right? And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, people are hard to love. Like, for example, compared to other things, for example, my little dog Oscar that I talked about this morning, that guy's easy to love, man. Way easier to love than people. He never gets an attitude. He's always happy to see me. He's very simple. I understand him. He understands me. We have a perfect relationship. It's amazing. People are so much harder to love than animals for the most part. Right? Yes. So when it comes to the scale of love, you have like, you know, pizza, your dog, people. People. There's a whole different level of difficulty. So you got to understand. You need to go into it understanding, well, why should you love? You need to know that. You need to know, well, why do I need to love people? You need to, you need to have already, as you come into community... Have a grip on the fact that you need to love people because God's commanded you to do that and you need to understand why He's commanded you to do that because you will never be what you're intended to be apart from that. You need to know how you should love. You ever ever built a relationship with somebody that didn't know how to love? It's, It's ultra painful because you're trying to love them and they're trying to love you, but they don't know how to love. I mean, I can think of so many times in my life where I've had to sit down with somebody and say, okay, I need to talk to you. Okay, you know I love you, right, right. You are annoying. You're annoying. Do you know that? You're annoying. So don't do this. Because when you do this, you repel people. And then they're like, You know, a year later, two years later, they're like, you remember that time? Yes, I remember that time when I told you. They're like, I'm so glad you told me that because I didn't know that. And now I am in community with people. Yes. I mean, if every time you turn around, you're having trouble, you know, entering into community with people, let me just give you a hint. It's probably not them. So you need to know how to love people. You need to know ways, concrete ways that you can love people. Well, how do you do that? What What are some good biblical ways that you, that you can love people and encourage people and show people? And then you have to do what the book of Acts has been doing to us on Sunday mornings for the last couple of months. You have to do a little heart surgery and you have to get real with yourself and you have to... You have to know how to overcome what just happened. David, help me. You have to overcome your tendency to despise and ignore people. If we back up, despise and ignore people. See, why are there certain people that we just ignore? People that we overlook, people that we... For whatever reason, despise these these prejudices that we have in our heart. What is that all about? You see, the thing about it is, is listen. This is part of it. You know, coming in here and sitting in here is part of it. But it's not all of it. Because you can't obey this verse only sitting in here in a pew listening to me. How are you stirring up one another to love and good works? You're just listening to me. How are you encouraging one another? In little ways, maybe you are, but to really accomplish this, you've got to get into smaller groups. You've got to be involved in a smaller group, right? Yes. And then, see, here's the thing. Whenever we come together, whether it be in this big room or in a, a Sunday school class or in a D group, the goal is always, 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 let's accomplish something worthwhile. For our king, right? Let's do that. If our goal is to accomplish something worthwhile for our king, we're going to be okay. Right? Yeah. It's important. It matters. So we have these amazing realities in Christ. We can draw near to him anytime. Anytime. Just draw near and he'll help you. And then don't forsake community because you need that. You need that. You need to draw near to your father and you need to draw near to others in order to be the person that God wants you to be. When you do that, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thanks for letting us be together tonight. It's always a blessing. There are people in this room who maybe right now are going through great difficulty and yet they're here and that's an encouragement to us as family, Lord. Thank you for all the ways in which uh, you give us opportunity to come together, to meet together, to be together, to love each other, to encourage each other. We're so grateful and so thankful. And Lord, help us to be vigilant and understand how easy it is to form a habit that can destroy us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.